everybody guess what we're back for another week of make a sheen i am victor i'm nick and yes we are back make a sheen your bi-weekly podcast for all things gay and geeky from a queer black perspective it's what another year in quarantine folks don't know still don't know how to act which is nothing fucking new um <laughs> victor how you been what's going on um, nothing. I agree. People don't know how to act. Um, and so we are in situation as we are hopefully get out of this soon. I feel like we're in a prison dimension. <laughs> I feel like we are trapped somewhere and we just can't get out. But hopefully, uh, you know, I heard a little bit about this. What's that vaccine that could be that could exist by December if we make it that long. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But in all, you know, I'm I'm good. I'm tired. Um, yeah, I'm tired. I, I wanna I wanna do something. You know, like get out and like go somewhere to do something. So I'm right. in this weird mode of like, yeah, I could go somewhere. Like I can go to you know San Diego for a day. But then I'm like, but then what what I'm gonna do with San Diego? It's nothing to do if there's nothing going on. So, I don't know. But, you know, I'm hanging in there. What about yourself? Uh, I'm more or less the same. Tired of sitting at home. You know, like, the only places I go are to, like, the grocery store. And, you know, that's an event now. Going to the grocery store and picking out meat. And dressing (laughs) up and getting all dolled up just to go to the fucking grocery store. Like, this is how, what my life has become. Um, go go ahead. No, that that's true. I was just saying that's true. Um, really, not anything else. Trying to keep myself busy. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. That is sad. We think about it. like after this, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And maybe the target so I can actually walk around, you know, like I'm doing, like I'm really doing something. But yeah, I'm going to go to the grocery store and have no idea what I'm going to really get. That's sad. This, this is where See, we are. I never go grocery shopping without a, without a list. I need to get back to having lists. I love them. Because uh, I, I don't need to be dilly-dallying. Up in nobody's grocery store, mess around and have like $200 worth of food. And a week later, 150 of that food is gone. True. That's what, yeah, I need to make lists, but I kind of know what I'm, I'm, I, I created like, this is what I'm eating in a week. Like, you know, two steaks, two pack of wings, and two salads. That's how that's how I do like dinner. Is like this is all that I'm having a week for dinner. Well, once I did that, it made grocery shopping so much more easier. Because um, sometimes I'll get in the store and be like, "Oh, maybe I'm gonna make tacos this week," and then I'd be like, "I don't even want to make tacos this week." So that's is why I need to stick to a list. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well. I hope y'all are doing okay. You know, I know it's been rough on everybody. People are taking a lot of 
you know, time off, personal reasons and all that, you know, stuff just to, to just to survive this foolishness. Good Lord. And hopefully, you know, as the fall comes, and I know some of you who are parents, you're already worried about, you know, kids going back to school, um, some of y'all going back to school or what have you. So hopefully, you know, you know, so I know some states, some people are just like, I ain't taking, you know, they, you have the ability to not bring your kid to school. And those who are teaching, you have the ability to not go. But for those who don't have those, ability, you know, my heart goes out to y'all. I know it's going to get rough. Very, Very. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, we'll be thinking of y'all and all that goodness. But let's go ahead. We have a, we have a good show for y'all today. So, you know, we're going to. Hopefully, y'all stick all the way through and, you know, enjoy. But we're going to go ahead and get into um, our wonderful segment of Aunt May's Tea. I'm going to kind of start off with, let's see, what kind of foolishness happened this week? Well, let's see. Well, not really foolishness, but Black is King dropped. So Beyonce's uh, visual album inspired by the lion king came out and, and when i say inspired by the lion king it was inspired but this was basically beyonce <laughs> um but it came out disney plus i made special time to watch it um to where i had no interruptions uh, and you know i i thought it was really amazing and great and so many beautiful images that was very just I think inspirational to me um and you know very it was very passionate it was just so many things in it so many things in it uh, that it's hard to really just pinpoint something but I don't know Nick did you get to see it yeah I did get to see it um yeah uh, it was it was no um I only saw like what maybe two lions in it the whole damn thing. Um, I enjoyed it. And it's so crazy. Like when we were, um, when, we, when Lemonade came out mm-hmm. and everybody was like, oh, how is she gonna, she's not gonna top herself. And then Homecoming came out. Oh, she's not gonna top herself. Oh, this comes out. And you know, we're having the same conversation and it's like the amount of times that she has transformed what it is to have a visual aid with your music and how to have it, like the, all aspects of blackness that she has had in these visual albums um, from the, the Cajun, uh, inspiredness in formation and uh, lemonade to you know the blackness and of homecoming and that tradition to basically where it all started back to Africa. Like you, I said this online. Uh, you may not like Beyonce, whatever your opinion is, that's up to you. But you cannot deny the commitment to one's craft or that talent at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 
it was just so many great things. I think all of her designs were by, you know, black designers and just everything about it was how it was, it was very, wow, it's kind of hard to explain because it was so many different messages, but it was really nice to see, you know, basically she was talking about uplifting, you know, this, this young black boy throughout his experience and everything we were watching with him, but also really understanding the beauty within, understanding our beauty, understanding what has been thrown against us and how we still have to rise with that. And then it, it may pay more attention to the songs because when Lion King came out and that the, the music she did for Lion King, you know, I, I pushed it all towards Lion King. But then after seeing this, it just kind of took its own different path. And I really enjoyed where she went with that. Um, I found myself so worried about the baby in the basket. <laughs> that little that right. Little, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, why am I on the edge of my seat about this baby? I, I mean, it's, if it's the Moses story, it's gonna be okay. But I was sitting there the whole time, like all worried about that. And I think I got teary eyed when they did Spirit near, near the end, it's because it was it was just something about it that was a little bit different, and it made a little bit more sense mm-hmm. what we are going through. If you think about what's happened between the, the release of Lion King and up to now. Black is King just kind of spoke to so many things that are happening now to where we have to remind ourselves who we are and where we come from and all these great things. And and I'm always happy that Beyonce takes that time to showcase our beauty, you know, showcase the beauty of Blackness and, and really put that out there. I know I saw a lot of, you know, hateration in the sense of like, when has she ever really been into Africa? I'm like, uh, if y'all really followed her career, she's always kind of hit on these things. This ain't, even when you look at um, Michelle, when Michelle did, when Jesus says yes, or whatever that is, even that was kind of right. in that realm. So I'm like, she's always been doing stuff like this. It's not like she just discovered her blackness. I mean, no shade y'all, but some of y'all don't even know your blackness yet. So I really, y'all might want to, you know, stand back a little bit, but I like that she's explored this. I like that Disney gave her that platform to do it. I like that. And she didn't, she didn't need Disney to do it, but I'm just saying that it was nice that to put it on that type of platform to get it out there. Everybody can see it. It's great. And I, I, I've watched certain parts again, um, just right. because the, the choreography, the movements, the, the clothing, all of it was just amazing. And she just puts in so much work. She's just doing stuff that, these, that a lot of folks are just not doing. She is. She she's the like I said the level of detail that goes into her visuals is just crazy, and she is fit. Like there's no way that Mama is not fit. You've seen all of that dancing, mm-hmm. like it's it's insane how much that she puts herself into her craft Mm -hmm. like over and over and over and over again. Like that's what a true entertainer and a good musician does. Mm -hmm. Like they, they find ways to redefine themselves. That's why when it comes to a lot of people that she has surpassed Michael Jackson, which to me, I don't know yet, probably, Maybe I don't want to admit it, but in a lot of cases that she has, 
And like we said, we've said on this multiple times, she's just not doing what any of these other girls are doing. There is nobody in her that's an actual competitor mm-hmm. or a rival to her. Right. Because, you know, back in the day, there was always, there were, and there was always that competition. There was Janet and Madonna. Then there was Mariah and Whitney. Even though you could go back and forth, it was like, but that was, they were at each other's lanes in so mm-hmm. many ways. Um, but now you're just like, no, there's really no, there, there, are, the, there are these other girls, <laughs> you know, like the Tinashe's and the Dons. And then there are, you know, Beyonce. And it's just a uh-huh. whole different type of thing. And, I, and, it, and it's, it's good, but I hope that as we move forward in the future, that we kind of, I kind of want to go back to where we had multiple choices, you know, like it's like, oh, I can get into Madonna today, but now Jenny got me hype about this, or, you know, here come, even give a little Karen White, I'm going to say it like that, you know, <laughs> like Karen White, but she came in for a little choreography and song. So, you know, it's like, it's, I, I miss those days where there was other options, like there's still options. But to where you can be like, you can hold them all up. Because I was just saying to someone, this summer we had um, Dup Lupa, whatever her name is. We had her. We had um, somebody else come out with a you know, little dance album. Lady Gaga came out with a dance album. But uh, Jesse Ware uh, came out with an album. Yeah. Um, oh, I think, didn't Kylie Minogue come oh, out she- with a, 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 another album? She she just put out a yeah that's she just put out a single which it was a, that's okay. a cute single it's a cute single, um, but it's like when I thought about it um, I think that Carly Rae put out like a B side or something, I was like yes y'all girls gave the gays some little dance stuff but that stuff faded. The that's like gays. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that stuff faded. I'm like I couldn't tell you, you know I know I know people loved. Um, Lady uh, Chromatica, but I, I found that a little boring to some degree, but I'm like, they gave you stuff, but they still don't give, like I said, they don't give you the things that Beyonce gives. She gives you visuals, music, dance, and a part of me was thinking, you know, Lady Gaga, this is your, you could have, at this level, it's time for you to be like, like, I don't know. A, a different- I think the, the issue with Lady Gaga, particularly like with Chromatica, is people wanted that kind of lightning in a bottle that was the fame Mm -hmm. and that was so different and so out there than what was out during that time that people gravitated towards it and it was like in your face and it was raw and it was different Mm -hmm. people want that that same lady gaga and i think that she more or less doesn't want to necessarily be defined by that type of branding or that type of look mm-hmm. and so i was i'm glad that she went like a different way like even when she recorded with tony bennett that mm-hmm. that jazz album which yeah. was good by the way yeah. um I, it's just i don't want to say these other artists don't take their craft as seriously as beyonce but the proof is in a pudding the proof is in the motherfucking button like there's only so much talent that will take you before you have to add in the other stuff 
like some of these girls weren't born with it. They don't have that it factor. Beyonce has always had that it factor. Yeah, you look at the growth from when they started up to now, you're just like, this is, like, she took you somewhere. It, it, it reminded me of, you know, how Janet was when Janet first started all the way up to where she is. It was like, Janet gave you something different every time mm-hmm. uh, and made you want more all the time. But we knew that Janet was not going to be doing that every, you know, forever. So somebody else has to take up that mantle. And I think that's where... We, we got Beyonce, you know, sometimes I think that if a Leo was still around, who knows where a Leo would have been today? Like, I'm always thinking, like, what would have been, because, you know, I think, you know, because we lost Aaliyah, it just changed the game, you know, because I always think, because Aaliyah was already at a level that nobody was on. Right, she was already doing big, huge budget movies. I mean, she was in A Romeo Must Die. She was in Queen of the Dam. Mm-hmm. She was set to star in A Matrix Revolution. Mm-hmm. But Jada Pinkett uh, got the role after her death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would be very interesting to see what Aaliyah was doing, what Aaliyah would be doing now if she was still with us. Yeah, because I feel like if Aaliyah was still with us, we would out. People can argue with me. I don't think we would have had a Sierra or we wouldn't have a Ashanti. I feel like we may have had an Ashanti, but I feel like because there was Lauren Hill was on a break and then and then Leah was gone. I think that's how Ashanti rose to power personally. Because um, remember, she was considered better than Beyonce. I, 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 it's that article that always talks about like how that New York Times article. Yeah, I'm like Lord. I said, I bet y'all just want to hide after that but you know again black is king was amazing to watch it was inspiring to watch um just how she just used the different shades of black people the just so many things i mean how she cinematography yeah it's just like good lord i just want to be in a room when these discussions are happening you know i just want to be in there and I love that we got to see a little bit that that little ABC special. We got to see a little bit of what that what was going on at the time when she was doing all that planning and thinking and everything. But she's a beast too, because if you saw the homecoming special, right? Like she was her. I I, I completely understand why her and Serena are friends, mm-hmm. because Serena is the exact same way. Like mm-hmm. if it's not perfect, if it's not how I want it to be, then I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that how she fought like within herself to get her body right. You know, uh, Serena did the same thing after she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And oh, you had mentioned uh, Lauren Hill. I need people to as, as good as the miseducation of Lauren Hill was. Mm-hmm. Y'all need to stop giving her way too much on that album. <laughs> I, I, I'm on album. I, I hear that. I hear that. Granted, it was good. It was good. I yes, it deserves its accolades. It deserves to be in the top hundred albums of all time. Whatever, whatever. However, Lauren, if I'm coming to if I'm coming to a concert, and you better do some more than these reggaeton 
uh, Dark Child as remixes of that thing or X Factor or to Zion. Like, yeah, we just give her too much for the for that album. Yeah, I mean, even her, and I have to probably go back and listen to it again because the the, the live, the one she did for MTV, the live, the unplugged. Um, I just feel like that. Hmm. It was a time. I remember when the album came out and how we rushed. Um, I was in Georgia. We rushed to get that album because it was literally being like sold out all over. Mm-hmm. You know, in Georgia, because, you know, it's just black in Georgia. So it was just being <laughs> sold out. Like we had to go to like two different places. We had to go to Walmart. We ended up going to Walmart. I remember that because um, we were like, well, damn, everywhere we went, it's gone. We go to Walmart. It was almost gone at Walmart. It was like, damn. And I was excited because I was, I'd never experienced, like, no, uh, Velvet Rope was like that when I was in Murray because we only had, like, so few places in Murray. <laughs> and it was gone. That was gone. I remember trying to get there to get that, and it was gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was an era. It was a moment. And it's hard because I'm always wondering what would have been if Lauryn Hill would have kept going. I keep saying that if Lauryn, if Lauryn Hill kept going, we wouldn't have Alicia Keys. I mean, because I feel like she only yeah, got she here. probably should have. She probably should have kept on going now. Because <laughs> I was like thinking, because I was like, only reason Alicia Keys came out is um, came really big is because Laura wasn't there. But if Laura would have kept going, Alicia Keys could have came out with an album. We would be like, okay, girl, that was cute. But when's Laura new album? <laughs> We're like Laura has a new album coming out tomorrow. So, you know. <laughs> oh goodness, but yep. Black is King. If you haven't seen it, try to see it. If you need to bootleg it, find a friend, do what you need to do. But it is, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I really yes. did. In um, comic book news, I'm going to add something because something just happened today. But, you know, Comics Gate is still being assholes. If you don't know what Comic Gate is, it's a bunch of white men who want comics to stop being political and stop highlighting black, Latinx, queer, anything that has to do with affinity, they want all that to not exist. They want comics to go back to being great, which means all white heroes and male and scantily clad women and, you know, bustiers and whatever. So there is an artist um, who is pretty much known, her name is Tess Fowler, or Tess, I will say they, Tess Fowler, um, who is an artist who worked on um, a great D&D um, comic, um, basically called Comic Gate, Comics Gate Out. And then they just went on the attack. Uh, but not just the attack, they, you know, doing the things are really teasing Tess about their um, cancer, because they're going through cancer right now. And even had the audacity to do a podcast laughing about it. Uh, and not just that, Comics Gate has also been in the heat because they um, was getting support from Dynamite Comics, um, which was which is responsible for Vampirella, Red Sonia, uh, you know those type of comics. Um, and for some reason, they got involved with Comics Gate and lost a lot of great artists, um, Gail Simone, writers, all that stuff. So Comics Gate has been back in the news because of all of this stuff, and it just makes me really wonder what is their end game at the end of the day what are they trying to get when they're considered a hate group where can you go 
where can you go with that? And to see some of our classic artists like Art Tilbert, um, who is who is known to draw X Men, many comics that a lot of us looked at, was also on that podcast. It was very disheartening to see. Um, it made me feel like dirty that I don't want to look at certain X Men comics anymore. Uh, it just really makes me kind of sad, you know, as a person who's loved comics since he was a kid, to see this is the realm that we're going. But not just that, but seeing how we're losing a lot of talented people of color, queer people who are trying to get into comics because they don't want that heat. They don't want to deal with comics games. So it's just been really disheartening to see. It's ridiculous. Gosh, I wish those little shits would find some real business. I would say go find a job, but you know. <laughs> that's, all that. that's gonna be, that's pretty much all of us. That's just, who knows how that's gonna, you know, in a few more months. But yeah, I mean, they've just been really assholes. They have been very uh, negative. They've been very disruptive. And yeah, they make a, they raise a lot of money for many of their own comics, like a battle frog. Girl, these comics they be making is just trash, but they be making, get a lot of money for them from a lot of places. So it's it's really interesting. <sighs> Idiots, I swear. Yeah, there's always something with these white people. It, it really is, it's kind of sad, it really is. But you know what? Hopefully they'll get their due and we'll move forward from them. So yeah, hopefully something will change soon. Um, oh, do you get a chance to look at the Umbrella Academy this weekend? Girl, I'm still in the first season. <laughs> well, second season is out. Uh, and it's really good. Um, I just finished it. Um, it's really good. It's a lot of stuff in it. Very classic um, storytelling in the sense of what they're dealing with. It's a lot about time travel. But it was very good. Um, um, great characters so much I, I recommend people really check it out and it's a comic i never really got into but you know the series is pretty good yeah it's on my my to to watch list so, like so many other shit but i mean it's on netflix but guess what's coming up on netflix we've been asking for this for years let's talk about it Girlfriend is coming back on Netflix. We'll so I'm excited. So happy about it. Even though I still have, I have the whole complete uh, series on DVD, I'm still excited about Girlfriends coming to Netflix. But not only Girlfriends, a one-on-one, half-and-half, Moesha, The Parkers, The Game. Um, so basically, UPN. Is coming to Netflix. So I'm happy about that. Uh, I already know the think pieces that are going to come out between Joan and Tony's friendship. They're going to say Tony is so toxic, yada, 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 that, oh, they they should never be friends. Um, And I know a lot of it is going to be contingent on how that show the place and time that that show was supposed to be in it's completely different from now so 
people are going to have a fit over Mr. Sweetelson. His uh, ass needed to be in prison for sexual harassment plenty of times. But yeah, it's coming uh, September with a host of others. So I'm excited about that. Yes, I'm so yeah, I'm really happy because it's been a while since I've actually watched a lot of the episodes. The last time I saw the episode was last year um, when I was in um, Houston and it just happened to have, they were showing four of them back to back. And so I was like, oh my God, I forgot how all this felt. So it's going to be some good nights of just kind of sitting back and watching just girlfriends, just watching it all. I, I, I may skip the last season because that was a hard season to watch, but. <laughs> I still haven't watched it all the way through that last season. It was, yeah, it was rough. It was it because was, it was like you saw everything coming to an end, and it was just like I can't do this. I can't do this. So I hope this sparks up because you know Netflix they do like the like what's the top things people are watching right now. I hope it spawns the interest of like okay maybe we need to do like a Netflix movie or something like that. That would be mm-hmm. great. Um, Because I would rather see that than some of the movies they've been posting (laughs) lately. They've been throwing up all types of movies. I haven't seen Fatal Attraction or whatever it's called yet. Isn't that a Tyler Perry movie? Is it a Tyler Perry movie? I don't know, but I know Neo Long wasn't uh, harder for money (laughs) to do it. It's Fatal something. Yeah, Fatal Dick. I don't know what it is. It's just something on there. Fatal Affair. Fatal Affair. I, I, I'm going to eventually going to watch it just to say I watched it. But it's hard when I can just go on Hulu and watch Soul Food because Soul Food's on Hulu. It's but, directed by Peter Sullivan, but it might, it might as well be television. Wait, Peter Sullivan? Is that, but that's how you get a murder person, right? No, that's Peter something else. Yeah. You have some, yeah, different Peter. Yeah, different Peter. I'm gonna look at it. <laughs> Nobody, it's no acrimony, so I'm gonna look at it. Cause you, to this day, I'm gonna always, if I ever have a chance to talk to Tyler Perry, I'm like, I'm like, let's talk about acrimony and how you shouldn't have. You don't. I don't. No. If you have not seen acrimony yet, y'all, it's. It makes you feel sad <laughs> for those who are trying to break into the industry and they don't get in, but then you see stuff like this. You just like, okay. Right. They making this shit. Yeah. It's like when your daddy does your mom, your sister's hair. That's how I look at acrimony compared to your mama. You know, <laughs> you know, your mama puts the, make sure your scalp is greased. The parts are even, everything looks really nice and neat and clean. But when your daddy does your hair, the parts don't make sense. There's no grease. There's just water in your hair. And then you look like what you look like. So that's how I look at acrimony. That is how I look at acrimony. <laughs> I, I think I still have it in my a queue to watch. <laughs> you. You know what? Get you a good glass of wine. And an edible. That, and you know how you have to eat something, no matter even if you had a big meal before the edible, 
get you some cookies, get something because you're going to be sitting there giggling and be like, bitch, what is this? <laughs> my mama, my mama took one of her moves. Like she's my mom. I, I, I can publicly say this. She's bipolar. So she took, um, you know, one, one of her pills uh, and she said, I, she said, I, she said, I, I thought something happened to me. I thought I took too much. Because she was like, I watched this movie and I just felt like, what the hell am I watching? What happened? So, <laughs> oh, he was hallucinating. I was like, no, no, no. I just hope those those uh, checks didn't bounce when he wrote them to some actors. You know, I think we just have, we have that love and hate relationship with Tyler Perry. I mean, we appreciate him giving black folks jobs and opportunity. But, but, but that that's it. That's that's all you have to say. <laughs> I looked at the oval. I, I just felt like it was like, what if Olivia Pope didn't have the upbringing that she did, and she was raised by um, the mama in Holiday Heart. <laughs> all right all right <laughs> you would have got you would have got the oval that is you just have to see it you know tyler picks his now you know i'll give i'll give tyler this he picks some good looking white men when he when he picks white men he picks the white men that we approve of you know what i mean when he, he picks a, the Todd <laughs> Yeah, when he when he picked because it was that movie, um, not the half and half knots, but the one that had um, Kathy Bates. And- oh, um, um, uh, uh, fuck, what is that movie? Uh, no, it wasn't half and half knots. This is gonna kill me. Look it up, but because it was the only one that I actually enjoyed watching. That I was like really into and mad at everybody, because <laughs> um, Kathy Bates was good in that movie. She was. It was. Um, oh my goodness, the family praise. Yeah, yeah. I like. I can watch that movie over and over because it's something about that one felt a little bit more grounded. You know, because you know, what's the name gonna give? They both gonna give you performances regardless of whatever movie it is. They all give you. Because of their acting, they're gonna give you a movie. But um, yeah, yeah that's place and uh, Alfred Woodard. Yeah, when Alfred Woodard, you know, you, they could do. To be honest, Alfred Woodard and Kathy Bates can do several movies together, and I'll be happy and ready to watch it. <laughs> they can just because they're just good at it. But the white man in that movie, even though I hated him, he was still sexy though. I hated Sinai in that. I've always had a. Um, I don't want to say I didn't, I've never liked her acting, but her acting always kind of, I wanted something more. Like it always seemed like she would play these weak sisters. And I was like, that irritated me. So her in this role and she was just a fucking bitch. I was so glad when her man slapped the dog shit out of her and she went flying. <laughs> she went flying off that uh that counter in the um the diner. Lord. It was that 
And I wish it was, the, I, I kind of wish it was the sister that did it, but she was like, you know, you wrong, you're wrong. I'm like, somebody, I was like, I wanted Alfred Woodard to just, 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 just take it out on her, you know, like, girl, you were just so ungrateful, because she was ungrateful. I was so mad at her, I wish I had a glass of water, because I would have been like, just threw it. I'm like, I'm just doing it because your mama won't. That would have been my line in the movie. I did it because your mama wouldn't do it. But, but yeah, she was too much, when he, when she lost all that stuff, I'm like, that's what you get. You deserve to lose it all. Um, mm -hmm. She was living living in an apartment that looked like a crack house. <laughs> yes. I even had the nerve. To, and then to, this is your son. I'm like, oh, said, this is too much. That was, cla that, that was classic Tyler Perry there. I was twisting turn. But right, that was messy. It was. That was Tyler Perry with a, a splash of uh, Miss, uh, Miss Empire. Yeah, Tyler Perry. Um, I, I know I, his name is slipping in my head, and a little bit of Jackie Collins too. That's that's some foolishness she be pulling up in them books. You know what would be funny? I would have loved, and then rest in peace, Jackie Collins. But if somebody did a <laughs> took one of her books and just did a a black version of it or Latinx version of her books, because all books are trash. Well, it's good trash. Though. Have you ever read one of her books? I have not. I'm just, just, well, I think it's Hollywood Wives. That's actually a show. I think you would have, you could probably watch it still on YouTube. It was like a mini series. You might like it because it was classic 80s, dynasty ish type of mess. You might enjoy it. I probably would. <laughs> because it was just too much. I remember it was on there. But yeah, you know, Jackie Collins, we need some good trash, Jackie Collins. A mashup between Jackie Collins, Tyler Perry, and what's his precious? All that type of stuff. Oh, I'm, I cannot be that high enough or drunk enough to deal with all of that. Uh, yeah, it will be a lot. And mix in generations too. And then you just have all of that to go. Oh, Lord. Anyway, yes, Tyler Perry's good at picking, a, pick, picking men in general, but when he picks white men, he does the best to make. John Schneider, hot all over again. I was like, look at you. <laughs> this man gave him, this renewed his career. I'm like, wow, who knew? Who knew? Um, another thing I want to throw out there, recently, no shade to DC, but Wonder Woman, the, the official Wonder Woman uh, Twitter account, tweeted today, about sisterhood and had Wonder Woman and Nubia together. Now, what's been so cute about that is Nubia has been back twice in the DC universe and she has not been the sister of Diana. So it was very interesting to see this today. Um, from DC, this is their account, um, talk about their sisterhood or about them being sisters. So. Twitter being Twitter, kind of snap back and be like, oh, okay, well, since you want to bring that up, then how about bringing her back as her sister? And I was, you know, and I jumped in on that. Megashin also jumped in on that too. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see that from the Wonder Woman official account of Twitter, because I'm like, okay, y'all have never really recognized Nubia as her sister for almost three decades. <laughs> so what are we doing now? Are we going to get back to that? Are y'all, are you giving us a message that you're doing this? 
Um, but yeah, it sparked some some responses. And I sometimes wonder if that was what they was trying to do, was trying to see if there's interest. If they were, they got it today. Mm-hmm. They got it today. There's always interest. Y'all just don't want to pay attention. True. True. I, you know, Jermaine, friend of the show, started the bring bring back Nubia hashtag. And so it was it's just fascinating to see them talk about it. But I'm like, yeah, y'all gonna get dragged for this. But in a good way, because we're not saying we hate y'all. We're just saying that, okay, well, you're gonna bring this up, then you know, then bring the money. You know, come up to the right. camera. We're ready for it. We want it. Don't have Oliver um Copio make a, a cover with Nubia on it and that's all we get. Don't do that. And don't introduce these black women and call one of them Nubia, even though she's not the Nubia that we know. So don't mm-hmm. do that either. So, you know, bring back her as her sister. You can throw that in Wonder Woman 96 when y'all make that version. You can throw Nubia up in there. That's the time that, you know, all type of black stuff was just popping up on TV. Then y'all can do that too. And we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I don't know if you saw that today, but yeah, that was just something that sparked a lot of people jumping in. I did see that, yeah. I was like, okay, y'all. You know we're going to drag y'all for this. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Anything else on the tea table? Um, shout out to the Black streamers that are getting partnered. So I saw a lot of uh, people that are able to make some serious coins uh, streaming video games. A lot of them are Black people. And a lot of them are in the circle of streamers that I know. So congratulations and get that money. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I, I, and I think this is the best time. I keep saying that this is the... When these issues happen, when they want to try to reach out to black folks, y'all start showing up, show up ready to go. Mm-hmm. And take it out. Take it over, take it out, do what you need to do. And that's going to be really neat because we kind of get into, in our next segment, we kind of get into that about, you know, black artistry, but also just take when this when is your moment, you need to take that time. So I'm really happy to hear that. I would love to see more of that. Um, and it, that should be exciting. Yeah, it's always um, during these times like this, like we're having right now, where everything is such unknown, a lot of, that's where creative creativity starts. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot more of that in terms of acting and, um, and you just see that in everything. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. All right, well, tea table is done, but we will be right back. And we have a special guest to kind of talk about writing in Hollywood and what Hollywood is for us Black creators. So stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are going to kick off our King Size issue today with somebody who is really, I, I will say, prolific out here. In this, in this game here in Los Angeles. He is a producer, a writer, a director. Um, used to do a little bit of acting back in the day. We're gonna ask him about that. Um, 
And if you want to know what had, what he's been doing, I know we have a lot of people who love Deadly Class. He was writer on that. So today, I want to welcome Hilliard, yes, to our show. What's up? What's up? <laughs> How you guys doing, man? Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Appreciate it. So I have been looking at what you've been doing for a while, and I have been really- Oh, he's been on a stock for a brother. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are doing it out here. It is not out here. But you're also really doing things to make sure that we as Black writers are being seen and heard. Absolutely. And so sure. I have been very impressed with that. And what really hit me is when you were on script notes, listen to script mm -hmm. notes for like past four or five years. Um, and then when I heard your name, I was like, oh, oh, I, I know who this person is. Right, right, um, right. That was a very good interview. Um, Did you guys read the letter we put out? The Dear Hollywood letter? I saw not all of it. I don't know why I didn't see okay. it. But I thought, okay. oh, no, but I was going to say, if you want to talk about what that was to our- oh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Okay. But it was um, very interesting just to see how this is the time now. If anybody's trying to jump on that bandwagon about, we care about Black lives, we care about all these great things, like, okay, that's cute. Hire us. Yes. Hire us. Put us in those rooms. Put us as showrunners. Um, but we'll get into all that. I, I kind of want to kind of start from the beginning of things. Sure. Um, and how did you get, and you were in Detroit when you were young and then you end up in San Francisco. How did you get from, Detroit to California. See, what happened was, uh, <laughs> so I'm, the, I'm the youngest of five. Mm -hmm. I was born in Detroit. Um, my father was a military guy, so I'm a military brat, so we traveled around a little bit. We moved to, we moved to Brooklyn when I was two, and I lived there until I was, I turned, two weeks when we moved to the Bay Area, I turned seven. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a place called Palo Alto, <clears throat> um, <laughs> east side. Right, I always gotta clarify because I say Palo Alto, and people are like, "Ooh, Stanford!" I'm like, no, bitch, it's the East Side. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> right. Like, okay, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I always make a joke when I go in to meet with producers or whatever. I'm like, "You ever see the movie Dangerous Minds?" They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, well, that was my neighborhood. I could see it from my house. Mm -hmm. You know, the school. You know, all my sisters and brothers went there because I'm the youngest of five. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got to high school, they they started shipping us on buses to the White Side you know, mm -hmm. to the Stanford side, which we called Menlo Atherton, which was a beautiful area. Mm -hmm. And so, um, um, so that's how we got there into that neighborhood. We, my father was at the, um, at the Moffett Field at the base down there. So mm -hmm. that's, that's how we ended up there for sure. Yeah. And I also noticed that you ended up going to USC. You were at USC, I think the year that I started at USC, mm -hmm. I was working there. So I, I want to say that you were you you were I think you were finished by 2007. I didn't really go to UFC. I was in a oh. program at UFC. So there used to be a program called the Cosby Fellowship, which Bill Cosby put on. Oh. So I was in I was in that fellowship in 2007. Okay, so like right before the strike happened, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were all ready to go out and get staffed. You know, all of a sudden the strike happened. So. Wow. Cause see, I was in a program too. I was in the summer program for three okay. years. So I did it for three years. Right. So yeah, they had, they had good programs, but I want to know what, what 
really got you into writing? Because you used to act. You used to be a young actor and performer. What made you jump from that to writing? Well, I was a triple threat, you know? I mean, I've danced in music videos. I've toured. I've done, like, you know, with all kind of rappers and singers and stuff. Um, I've, I've, I've done everything that was the uh, equivalent of Broadway in San Francisco, ACT, Black Ensemble. Okay. I mean, all that shit. I come from theater. You know, I was a theater-trained actor. And so, <clears throat> um, since I was 12 years old. And it's funny that, um, you know, growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, there was a couple different things that changed. Was I was part of a gang when I was a kid, but it was a different time. Um, mm -hmm. Where now you get the kids driving by and all that stuff, we would literally get into a scuffle. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, they don't niggas is right there. And you just push, <laughs> push somebody and all of a sudden be like, next time I'm going to get you. You know what I mean? Bullshit. Anyway, and, 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 and we were more of a breakdance crew. So it was much more of a different time where mm -hmm. we would battle the, 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 the gangs we were, you know, opponents and get against, if you will, on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And we would win and they'd be mad. And that's why we, that's why we got into a scuffle. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? Somebody killed yeah. somebody, whatever. This is the early 80s, right? Yeah. So anyway, and by the time it got to be 84, I'm going to get to the part you're going to, I just want you to. to oh, no, take your time. By the time, so this is right, 82 to 84. So 84, I got into the mod punk rock skinhead scene, which was pretty big in the 80s because in the, in the, in the 80s, especially the early mid 80s, the height of the Nazi skinhead movement was in its prime in California in particular. Mm -hmm. So me and my homeboys, it was like six of us. We were a group of black guys who wore like 60 suits and crazy haircut. Like I had the kid and play haircut in 84. People <laughs> thought I was crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been wearing skinny jeans and shit since 84. You know what I mean? I've been way ahead of people for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, so, um, so I, I'm, I always tell people, you ever see the movie Dope, right? I'm like, <laughs> he was me. Except I was on scooters wearing 60 suits and everybody in my neighborhood called me the black Pee Wee Herman. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was literally driving through the hood. You can imagine somebody driving through South yeah. Central looking like that. So I was like the untouchables and fishbone. Those are all my dudes. You know what I mean? And so anyway, I say that to say that that made me kind of who I am. Being somebody who has a certain style, the way I dress, the cars I ride, like, you know, the scooters. I still have six scooters in my garage. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I drove one here this, this morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and they're all from the 60s, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I was an actor from the time I was 12. So it's actually one of the things that saved me. Getting into the punk rock scene and, and being an actor is what saved me because on the weekends I was doing theater. So my homeboys started getting, at first we were just a regular little, you know, breakdance crew. But of course that crew became one of the worst gangs in the, in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it saved me from that. So there were 12 of us who were alive at the time. And by the thing I realized about three years ago, there's three of us left. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Out of that 12. And um, so getting into that punk rock scene is actually what saved me. <clears throat> so I was acting at the same time. And so um, I moved to San Francisco. I met my first boyfriend at the time and we dated for about three years. And, um, and when we broke up, I moved to LA in 96. And um, so I had two boyfriends there, sorry, but I moved to LA in 96 and came here to be an actor. And I thought I was just gonna act, you know, that was my dream, you know, to be an actor. And 
I was really, really serious about my shit. <clears throat> and so um, I came here, I started getting some little, you know, guest starring and some co-starring roles or whatever. And it was going fine. I was here three months and I got my first role in something, you know what I mean? So I, I thought I was on a roll, you know what I mean? And then I kept getting like these, these, these reoccurring roles on TV shows and then the show would get canceled before I got brought back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so this, this incident happened. I've told the story once or twice on my podcast, but I think it'd be fun to tell you guys here. So I was at the gym and one of my friends is um, a really big line producer. He's actually won an Oscar for what he does. And um, we were at the gym, we were talking. He's like, hey, you want to go to lunch? And I was like, what are we doing at lunch? You know, is he hitting on me? Like, what what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, oh, no, no, we'll just go to lunch, blah, blah, blah. So we get in his convertible Jaguar. He was showing off. He had the top down. We hit the 10. We're hitting the Malibu to Joffrey's, right, that famous little restaurant. We hit out there. We almost get in three accidents because he's on the phone talking to an Oscar winning actress about the next movie he's about to produce. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's on the phone trying to write and every fucking five minutes, he's almost getting an accident on the third one. We came like an inch close to hitting the car in front of us oh and I lost it. And I snatch his phone, snatch his paper. We're on the freeway. And I'm like, girl, what you need? And I just start, you know, taking down the information. And he's just staring at me like, do you know who that is? And I'm like, I don't care. I'm around <laughs> stars all the time. It don't do nothing to me. So I'm taking, so I'm taking on information. We get to Joffrey's, we sit down mm-hmm. and he's just staring at me. I'm like, oh, he's pissed, you know? <laughs> and he goes, you want to go with me to Utah for like a month or two? And I was like, what are we doing in Utah? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. That sounds like a like, yeah. Right. And he said, he said, no, I want you to come and assist me. He said, you're a producer. I said, why do you say that? He says, you're fearless. And I was like, huh. So a week later, we are on a plane. We get to Utah. And this will all come around, by the way. So I apologize for taking so long. No. We Take get to time. Utah. <laughs> we get to Utah. And we land. We get our big-ass SUV. And we're heading up toward Sundance, right? Where we're, which is where we're going to stay. But base camp was like, miles away and we get we're driving and we drive past where we're supposed to be going i'm like where the fuck are we going now i kind of know this dude i don't really know this dude Mm -hmm. so me being a horror dude i love horror i don't never get to ride it except for back in the past so i'm already in my head going all right if we stop i swear (laughs) to god i'm gonna take this i'm gonna do that if he locks these doors i'm gonna knock his ass out (laughs) (laughs) i'm already planning how he ain't gonna get my ass it ain't gonna happen right and so we end up driving off the road somewhere. We're like in the boondocks. And we pull up at this beautiful ravine, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he's like, here's base camp. I was like, oh, wow, like this is gorgeous. He said, you've been to base camp, right? I said, yeah. He says, well, in the back seat, I got, um, a, um, there was like a big, like kind of a board sheet with like pen and paper and stuff. And he's like, I want you to, and it had like a list of all the different crews you know, and, and all the, the people involved in the project. He said, I want you to draw for me a map of what base camp would look like. I'm going to go take off for like an hour and I'll be back. And I was like, you leave me here in the middle of the woods? I'm a city dude. I was freaked out. <laughs> right? It was still daylight, but still, it wasn't pretty for a brother, right? So mm-hmm. he leaves and I sit there and I'll never forget. I always tell younger writer, emerging writers this now, think like a fish. 
I'll never forget when I was about 15 or 16, I was doing West Side Story. It's mm -hmm. the it's the musical that changed my life, mm -hmm. right? And there was something going on in the scene somewhere, and 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 I was getting it, and somebody else wasn't. So the director came to me and was trying to figure out why I got it and everybody else didn't. And I was like, oh, well, I just figured that I would do what he was doing because if I were to do something, then he would, it was, I was, in essence, I was explaining to them that I was already anticipating what the other person was going to do, mm -hmm. right? Before they did. And he was like, that's why you're so good, right? Like that. So he said, you think like a fish, mm -hmm. right? So every time I'm in a situation, I always put myself in another person's situation. I always go, oh, they said that to me because they were thinking this. Mm -hmm. The truth is what they meant was this. Mm -hmm. So I almost never argue with anybody because I'm always like, oh, I get it. I get it. I, I think I know where they're coming from, right? So I immediately went, okay, if I were this star who's producing their first movie, where would I want my trailer? And I look around and I see the most beautiful area that had this beautiful outlook on the mountains i said i will want my trailer right there i'm going to start there and build this the 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 rest of it from there the whole base camp from there makeup needs to be close to her okay got it boom and i just I, he's going to put his trailer next to her and i just started building it out he came back hour hour and a half later and i had this map now i'm not the best drawer but it made sense and he came back and he just starts like chuckling to himself and i'm like what he says told you like, I knew it. I knew you were going to be good at this, right? Mm -hmm. And so what he was teaching me was logistics, mm -hmm. to figure out logistics for yourself, right? I'm very good, <clears throat> which has helped me to be successful, and even in my independent, my independent um, projects, is I'm very good at being even killed and never letting you see me sweat, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So throughout this whole month that I was there as we were working on this project, Every day, he put me in some situation where I had to wax on or wax off, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to me, I was like, why am I doing this stupid-ass job? Well, mm -hmm. when I got home and three or four years later, when I started producing, all of that shit came back, mm -hmm. you know? So now he taught me to, to, to study things in such a way that, like, for example, if you guys invited me to come to your office at your house, I walk in the door and I immediately go, from my independent point of view, by the way, mm -hmm. I go, how could we shoot this? You know what I mean? I can't help it. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. thinking, but I'm usually thinking like a producer, not, not my director hat isn't even on. I'm like, how can we set this up? Where's base camp? Where's, but you know what I mean? I'm already there. You know what I mean? And so it taught me a lot of things like that. So mm -hmm. I was telling you guys that story. So you understood. Um, I came here to be an actor, but on that trip, I learned how to be a producer. Also on that trip, I got really close to that actress who, in essence, she's the first person I told a story about of a, of a film that I always wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you have to do it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, I'm an actor. She's like, do you see me producing now? I'm an actor, too. You have to pivot. Mm -hmm. right? right. So she's the one who encouraged me to write. So I came home and took like a year to write the script. And next thing I know, it started going to Sundance and Austin and all these other big film festivals. And then my name started getting on the list and then things started changing. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then years later, I got into the Cosby Fellowship, as we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, the writer's strike happened. 
<clears throat> I was out there picking in at Paramount. I ran into a friend of mine who just read a pilot that I'd written. And in it was this sequence that I had between a doctor and his, um, a therapist and his rapper client stuck on the subway train. Mm -hmm. He's like, have you ever thought about turning that into like a short or, you know, a group of concept, something? I was like, no. You know, I always find I'm always like very defiant at first. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like two weeks later, we're out there still picketing. And I'm like, fuck, I need to do something. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I need to be my own boss. I'm tired of waiting for Hollywood. So I put together this team. You know, we all live in L.A. We all know how to make things. And we went and shot this project. And six months later, it was critically acclaimed. It's called Troublesome. And I was like, wow, you know what I mean? So I, start, I was also starting to teach at the Organization of Black Screenwriters at the time. And what I would do, <clears throat> and, and you know this, being somebody who comes from, from um, school, most professors and people that you learn writing from are people who wrote a script you know, years ago, yeah, haven't sold anything in 15 years or whatever. Most of them, yeah. And and what I always hate is when I'm in a class and the and the the, the teacher, instructor, the professor is like, "Oh, so we're gonna break down Kramer versus Kramer." I'm like, "What have you done?" Yeah, yeah. Right. If I hear this script one more time, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. We're gonna break down Toy Story. I'm like, "Here we go again." Right. <laughs> you know, the here we go again. Motherfucker, what have you done? Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> so I decided if I ever teach, I'll do things like this. Here's how I got a script to this festival or, you know, to this producer. I wrote it like this. However, there's a scene. Remember how in Kramer versus Kramer they do this thing? Mm -hmm. I have a similar moment where my character does that. I'll reference it. Mm -hmm. Right. But I don't spend the time on the actual script. Yeah. I want you to hear that I'm in the game. You know what I mean? So what happened was that film came out. It did really, really well. And then everybody saw it and started going, dude, help me produce my project. Mm -hmm. So since 2009, I've produced 28 different projects. You know, And I started off doing a couple short films, just different genres, just learning it, how to do green screen, how to, whatever it was. And I just wasn't afraid to tackle anything. And it helped that my husband at the time was the, um, the um, uh, president of the Hollywood Neighborhood Council. So that means any restaurant, building, hotel, whatever around Hollywood, he knows the owners to everything. So I might decide to produce something that needs a rooftop 360 view of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm like, babe, oh. can, you, can you find it for me? And be like, oh, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine owns the hotel right there at Sunset and blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'll go in and I've been the things that I learned from my trip when I went to Utah and I'll put together a whole little lookbook on how it could look, you know, and, and be like, dude, imagine this. And we can see the sign of your building and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wow, sure. You can take it. You know what I mean? All we have to do is have insurance and a permit, you know? Mm -hmm. So I became known for helping young writers mm -hmm. or filmmakers make their project and give it this huge production value. You know what I mean? In this particular bar that nobody else could shoot in, in this restaurant or whatever it was. And so that helped me to become that type of producer where I'm not the guy who goes, goes out and raises money for you. I'm the guy who puts it together from script to screen. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, so I know I jumped, I know I've been talking a lot, so that may help you to make a little bit of sense yeah. of what happened. Yeah, it's, no, it's interesting because it's what I did learn when I was at USC 
was my, it's funny, my professor, he wrote on Man of Atlantis, from Atlantis. Oh, oh my God. And The Equalizer. It wasn't, oh, yeah, I think it was a crush. I used to have a crush on the man from Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's where he was coming from. I think the only professor or the teacher I had that did something recent was one of my instructors uh, produced Frailty. That was mm -hmm. the first. Um, which I actually kind of still see him around sometimes. But um, the, it, it's interesting what they do tell you in film school and what they will say and also what you just said about, you know, what have you done recently? Because yes. sometimes you do have to kind of, I guess when you're pitching, you have to almost kind of say things or- you Reference like, something. Yeah, correct. well, they may understand where it comes from, right. what have you. Um, which is, like, I, I want to know, like, how have you been able to navigate well here in Los Angeles? Because everybody, it feels like everybody here mm -hmm. is here to get into the industry. Um, and it takes a while for that to happen. But how did, how were you able to navigate really well to where you are, where you are today? Well, I stayed in the indie world for a long time, mm -hmm. is one thing. Um, I'm very good. Like I have an office like here on the lot next to own network, but I'm in the writer's mm -hmm. building. So I had an office before with my producing partner, um, at NBC universal before it became Comcast. And so what I found is those places like that, if you set up in the right spot and I tell writers this all the time, is people are like, wow, you have an office on the lot. Like, wow, who's paying for it? I'm like, bitch, I am, <laughs> you know, I invested <laughs> in nice myself. Building. They just, that's a nice building and they just kind of built that other part of it. So yeah, that's a nice building. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the oldest building on the lot, by the way. Okay. Um, and uh, just one of the, the only ones that remained as it is. <clears throat> um, and so I was telling people that like, for example, um, um, I have been here for five years and have probably gotten maybe four to six um, writing assignments from having my door open. People walk and you see my place is all decorated, beautiful art and stuff. People are curious. I leave my door open for a reason. You know, my business is open. <laughs> you feel me? I am my business. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's worth my eight, nine hundred thousand dollars a month to pay for this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you get one job, it's paid for for two or three, five years. You know what I mean? So it's really up to you how you want to invest in yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, so I invested in myself in that way. So you're asking me about um, what was the question? Forgive me, I'll probably I'm gonna jump a little yeah, bit. Just about navigating here in Los Angeles, yeah. how you been successful in doing that. Right, and so I navigated outside of Deadly Class and all that stuff for years, you know, producing projects all the way up to five, six hundred thousand dollars right? And so um, my experience as a producer and as a writer is far advanced from many writers, mm -hmm. you know, because I've tackled so many different things you know, had to deal with so many different types of permits in different states and different, I know a lot, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so <clears throat> I'm saying that to say that the, what happened was, is people like Lena Waithe, for example, who's a good friend, said to me one day, when are you gonna get into like big time TV? You keep producing these little pilots and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, girl, when are you gonna hire brother? You know what I mean? And, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and that's just an example. And so, but her and like a lot of people are like, when are you gonna do blah, 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 blah. And so I had a really big um, producer over in my office in the, 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 the end of 2017. And we were talking <clears throat> and, and, and Victor, I mean, if any of you guys ever asked me what I'm doing right now, 
I would literally go down the list of seven or eight things easily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he sat here and we were talking. He was in the middle of staffing a show, by the way, that I could have written on. Mm-hmm. And I never asked any of my friends for anything, mm-hmm. right? I never want to be that dude who's like, ooh, hook me up too, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a lesson that I learned. So he walked out the door. He closed the door and I, I sat here and I started bawling. Because what I realized was, I, it hit me. It's me. Mm-hmm. There's no reason I shouldn't be on shows. I could definitely write my ass off. I'm, I'm great on the set and all that shit. So it's not that, it's me. Mm-hmm. I never asked my friends for anything. You know what I mean? So I went, I need to change my perception in 2000. I'm going to start asking my friends for the, for the right shows. Now, some people ask them and they're not even good at the thing that they're asking them for. Mm-hmm. Be good at the thing you're asking for, first of all, right? <clears throat> so let it be in your wheelhouse. Let it be in your superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to start asking my friends for what I want. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the perception of what I am. For example, you may say, I might know that you're staffing something, Victor, right or Nick, right? Mm-hmm. I might tell you all these things that I'm doing. But say, but you know what? I know you're staffing that show. Dude, I would love to work on that show. That's what I had to change. Before, mm-hmm. I'd be like, dude, good luck with that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Instead, I need to include myself in there, mm-hmm. right? So when my friend Miles came, one of the showrunners of Deadly Class came, we did the podcast, he came on my show, <clears throat> and we talked about how him and Rick Remender wrote and sold the show. Mm-hmm. And when it was over, he turned off the, 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 I turned off the thing and he said, hey, I didn't want to say it on the air, but on Wednesday, we're going to announce the deadline that we sold the show. I was like, what? You know, and I just sat here for a second. I went, fuck it. You know, you need to hire me on the show. <laughs> he was like, huh? And I was like, let me explain to you why. <laughs> so I proceeded to tell him, I was like, look, your show takes place in 1987 in San Francisco. Most of the kids are into the punk rock scene. Who do you think was there? Mm. You know what I mean? And on my wall is a picture of me on the cover of the LA Times on one of my scooters in a 60s suit. I'm like, come on, dude, that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not gonna find anybody else in the room who could speak to that. And he started going, oh shit, like, damn, like that's a really good point. Like, duh, you know what I mean? So he, he hit me up that night and was like, hey, I'm gonna send you the script, take a look at it, send me another, have your rep send me a script, blah, blah, blah. So here's something that I teach people a lot on my podcast is, and this is something that I think, when I say think like a fish about, this is what I mean, is, um, for example, so I have always thought if I, were, if I ever had my own show, here's what I'd want from writers who submitted to me. Now, sometimes as a showrunner, you're looking for different things, right? You're looking for somebody who really gets structure, somebody who really gets, you know, your female character, whatever the hell it is you're looking for at the time, because everybody's looking for something different. The one thing I know people are looking for a lot is who can do my voice, right? So I say this, instead of just having your reps send out, for example, um, your thriller show, because it's a thriller show, go back and look at your scripts and after you read their script and be like, oh, you know what? The theme of this is more like that script. Mm-hmm. So put that script in the mix that you feel will speak to the writer who you're sending it to. 
and take it one step further. Here's the other step that I do further. I also go, go into it, read it as if it was a spec script of a show. So you mimic not only the tone, but you start to mimic, even in something you already have, the format and the style and the way they wrote it. So for example, on, on Deadly Class, I believe we did italics as the voiceover. Well, I had another script that I wrote that took place in the 80s I thought was a perfect one for this, that I didn't do that. So in my script, I went back and changed it so all of my voiceovers were in italic. You know, they did the slug lines in bold, the character lines in bold. So I went back and changed it. Mm-hmm. Example, and then around page four or five, I introduced all of my lead characters, right? And this is cool slow motion shot of all these guys in slow motion heading to this basketball court to battle these five black guys in a, in a basketball game. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it used to be that one of the characters was an all black because he was a former military guy who had like some sort of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew that this show was about punk rock. So I went, how can I grab their attention? He's already in black. It doesn't change anything from his character not to make him somebody with a mohawk and a Ramon shirt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's already in black. They already tease him about it. So why right. not tease him because he's the punk rock dude? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, so I went through the script and just colored a couple of things about him that tied that in. So I knew that when he got to page four or five, he would be like, oh, he gets me. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Take it a step further. Don't just go, here's the script that I have. Go, how can I make my script look like your script, mm-hmm. right? So sure enough, when I sat down with them at Sony a week later, one of the first things out of his mouth was, dude, I thought I wrote the script. You feel me? So that's what I'm saying. You got to show your superpower out, out front as much as possible. So, um, so that's how I ended up on that show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I took, and I took that show as a staff writer, um, even though I'm already in the EP doing a bunch of shit that I do now, mm-hmm. just to get into the big system, yeah. right? But what, it, what I knew when I told my, my, my team was this, I was like, they were like, no, you can't take a staff right? I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take it. I was like, but just know this, season two, they're gonna bump me probably the co-producer when I'm done with this, right? Mm-hmm. Now we didn't get a season two, right? Mm-hmm. I said, and it now allows me, because now I'm in the system, right, to go out and develop for people. So that's what it did for me. It mm-hmm. opened up this door for me to do, I'm doing a project for Ridley and um, Ridley Scott and for Reggie Hudlin. You know, we got something, you know, for Showtime right now that we're doing, we're doing something with Morgan Freeman's company. It, it opened up all of these doors for me to be able to be a guy who could be in the room where it happened. You know what I mean? Wow. Right, wow. <laughs> I know that was a mouthful, but that was some game. Oh, in that was that was good information, though. That was very good information because useful I, information too. Yeah, I think I don't see you writing it down. You're <laughs> <laughs> recording this. <laughs> I do better with just going back and looking at stuff. <laughs> um, that's funny because you sound like one of my professors. You talk about a professor that I had at UCLA. Um, he was the showrunner of 90210. He sounded okay. just like him. Um, <laughs> So, and Nick, I'll, I'm gonna turn over to Nick because I've been asking. Yeah, jump in, Nick. Jump in. Okay. Uh, so, what kind of stories do you enjoy telling, and do you want to tell? And also, I'm gonna add this in: Do you think an audience need to see? Okay. 
So I was telling you guys about my upbringing, about being, you know, the 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 kid from the hood, the ex gang member, the the punk rock, the, the underdog, you know, the gay black kid, all that shit. Mm -hmm. And I always say that when I'm in a meeting because then I turn around and say, because I'm all those things, I'm attracted to underdog stories, you know? So anything that you read from me, you will realize, oh, this is about some underdog overcoming some sort of whatever the thing. It could be a horror, it could be sci-fi, it could be a comedy, doesn't matter. If I wrote it, you can see it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know how to get back to that theme of what's me. And so, so, so yeah, so for me, that's the type of writer that I am. I think, I think that what I want to see more in Hollywood is, for example, I told you guys I wrote the Black Wall Street script, right? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are, from what I hear, several Black Wall Street scripts out right now, right? How do I make mine stand out? Because I did it from my point of view, you know? There was, there, was, there was a passage that I, read, that I listened to in one of the documentaries I read. I, I watched uh, four or five years ago when I was writing it. And the woman was like one of the last survivors. She said this. She said, if you were in Greenwood in Tulsa in 1921, you can get the Holy Ghost on one corner and heroin on the other. And I went, there were red light districts there. Mm -hmm. That means... This is like pre-Harlem. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine this is what Harlem would look like before Harlem became the big jazz place that it was. So I took that and planted it into my story so that it felt hip and cool. Everybody had the conch hair, the girls had the shimmy dress. It felt sexy, it felt now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I knew that when I got to that part of the story, that when people read it, they would feel like, wow, this is, all the other ones are reading are not doing this. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so that was one thing that I did. And so, and so I'm very good at seeing an image and turning an image into a complete story, you know, or hearing a word and turning the word into a complete narrative, you know? <clears throat> so that's, that's definitely my strength. So what I wanna see more is, is even these historic projects me and my producing partner talk about it all the time. We're really good at taking something that's from the past, but making you feel like it's now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whether it's, whether it's, and mainly it's because of pace. You know, my, my Black Wall Street script takes place in a day and a half. Mm -hmm. So it moves like this. It's just moving, you know? Or the other ones might take place over two or three months or whatever that it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. Mine is like, bam, you jump right into what's going on. You get to the tension. You get to the dilemma and then boom, we're right there at the riot and the massacre and boom, we reveal what happens at the end. I mean, it just happens really fast. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's what I want to see. I want to see more of that. I want to see us show more. And I'm only speaking to black people because that's what we are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I do mean <laughs> this for other people of color too. So those people who are listening can take this game too, is I want to see I want to see you go home with the number four character on the, on the call sheet who's black. You just see him at the office. You know what I mean? Right. Go home with them so we could see that they're a real person who has issues and family and, you know, love and stuff to deal with. I think those things will help white America see us in a different light. You know, they think they're doing enough by just bringing us in and, oh, there's, there's a black guy at the table every time we sit down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or a black woman who's, you know, who's, who's the lawyer and whatever. It's like, that's not enough. You got to take it a step further than that. So 
Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. And I, I know I've always, um, I'm, I'm not a writer. That's, that is not my wheelhouse, but I've always had this idea of like a, um, a vampire hunting family that's all black. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to see more black people in fantasy and sci-fi. Cause you know, sometimes well, most of the time the future is only white. Um, I, I just want to see, me. there's a lot like black people deserve so much more than they are given in these TV shows, in these movies, in these cartoons, in these animes, you know, in, in entertainment and in, just in general. Right. Um, you also uh, have a production company. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, so I was telling you guys about, I started my production company, Hill Dog Productions in 2009. Excuse me, I started it to focus on my projects. Mm-hmm. Well, I got like one project in and never went back to any more of my projects. You know, <laughs> everything else, Mm-hmm. everything else became, hey, will you, will you help me make my project? And then it became, hey, we need a producer. So I kind of became a fixer. I, I became a fixer for, for like ghostwriting scripts. Mm-hmm. And I became a fixer for like when somebody's in production and they, they get into it with a producer and the producer walks, like a week before they're about to shoot, I come in and help them put it all back together again. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so it's just because of my temperament. You know, I'm very, very good about being cool and I'm also very firm, you know what I mean? I'm not afraid to fire somebody, um, and I know how to save you money. You know, I can look at the budget and go, oh, I see where we're spending the money at. I know what the problem is, <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. Oh. Were you gonna say something? No, I was just, I'm just, I was just thinking like, what does it take to keep, wow, just to keep a company, like a production company going, because you will see people will start one, I feel like everybody was starting one at one point, yeah. but then it, it doesn't really get off the ground. I'm just thinking of the energy and everything it takes to keep it up. Um, I, have, about- I have two assistants that I have to pay for it huh? too. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you you doing you already doing a lot. So I just want to know where that energy comes from. Where does that that drive to keep this at the level that you wanted to keep it at? I think it's very easy. We are black men, all three of us. You mm-hmm. know. And we already have to be better than, you know, our white counterparts if we can, you know. And here's another thing. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. <clears throat> you, know, um, you know, I'm sitting here in my low tank top right now. And I'm, I work out every day. You know what I mean? I'm very insecure, you know. But I've learned to use my insecurity as a positive, you know. So instead of being so insecure that I'm in the mirror all the time, I'm insecure that I keep my body right. You know, I'll be 50 in September. You know what I mean? And so, so I want to still, and you know, you hear us on my podcast, we're always joking about being vampires. You know, <laughs> I've never drank, smoked, and done drugs in my life. You know what I mean? And um, I think you saw something I, I said, I don't remember if you did or not, but one, a writer had said something about that uh, on Twitter, something about that he, he had a headache or something and he took some biking and he took something to give him some pain. He feels so good right now. And I came back, I was like, dude, I don't even understand that mentality. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't even get why you'd want to feel that way. I don't get it. You know what I mean? I'm just so focused on what I want to do and, and, and the importance of being clear that to imagine myself being high, doing, I don't get it at all. You know? And so, like, it's the one thing. My husband and I never argue, but we do argue about him drinking. It drives me bananas. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. 
you know. I know I went all off the subject. Um, so I, I maintain, I maintain, that's why we call the rant room, by the way. Because we, we just going. Oh, you should hear um, me going on a rant. Exactly, exactly. So, so um, I maintain my company by usually, it's not by me necessarily producing projects for me anymore. It's more so, you know, uh, uh, somebody hires me and I bring in my company as the EP, you know, to manage the whole production. You know what I mean? Um, and so, and then in that version, I hire the line producer in the UPM and I bring in everybody. I manage them. It used to be that I played one of those roles. Now I don't do that anymore. <clears throat> now I hire other people to do that. I oversee the whole thing. You know, I work like a showrunner, if you will, on a film. That's yeah. just, it seems so, and it's interesting, I, I, it may not feel like it's a lot for you because you love it, but it just sounds like a lot. <laughs> I mean, it is a lot, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of ups and downs, and there's a lot of, you know, because we're not working with studio systems and stuff, I mean, you got to go out and find that money, you got to, thank God, I don't, I don't usually have to do it, but I do find every project that I work on, I always end up putting five, ten grand in everything, you know what I mean, at some point because when we get to post, something went a little short, mm. you know, and you're dealing with the independent stuff, you know, and, you know, you thought you had it in the budget, right? And then, you know, things just, you know, things change, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? All of a sudden we realized the sound wasn't whatever, we got to do ADR, we got to, whatever the thing is that you didn't quite budget out correctly, mm. somewhere you will need more money. You know, even if you have your contingencies and all that, you still end up needing it. I always go find, how much is that going to be? Another 600? Okay, I'll just pay for that. You know what I mean? Even though I'm supposed to be getting paid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. How much is that going to be? Next thing you know, I made $4.60. You, know I mean? so, you made bus fare. Like. Exactly. My husband is like, okay, you need to stop doing that shit. I'm like, I'm trying, but this shit needs to be done, right? So, you know, I, I, and I'm lucky enough that I have a career, you know, as a writer, you know, to, to do writing assignments that keep me busy enough you know, to where, <clears throat> excuse me, to where, um, you know, my, my lights are on, you know, thank God, you know what I mean? Um, and a lot of those projects never see the day of light, the day, you know what I mean? And there's nothing I can do about that, mm -hmm. you know? My job is to give you the best fucking script you can, I can give you, you know, and usually it's because I'm fixing something, mm -hmm. you know? And I know I'm giving them scripts that are way better than they were, because mm -hmm. now stars want to read them after I do them. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's where I'm trying to get to, you know. So now my new thing is I'm trying to do my shit, you know. No, it makes sense. It's time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, speaking, uh, and I'm going I'm to jump back to that, but I okay. want to get into um, your work in the WGAW. And for those who don't know, I hope I say it correctly, it's the Writers Guild of America West. Correct. Um, which... We have plenty, I always see them when I'm down there by the Grove. Right. See that one, the one over there by, well, I think it was, the, I've been to the director's one because of movies they've shown there. Right. Um, so you are the vice chair of the committee for Black I'm Art. the co-chair. Co-chair. Can you talk about that experience, and especially now, that <laughs> this is the time um, that we're holding everybody accountable to make sure we have more black folks yeah. on the screen, behind the screen, on the table, in the table. Can you talk about <laughs> that group um, and what, you know, what have y'all been doing to really ensure that this is going to happen after Rona and going forward? 
Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, um, I mean, first of all, uh, thank you for that. The, the CBW is what is our acronym, Committee of Black Writers. <clears throat> um, I've been on that committee for probably 10 years now. And um, in the last six to seven years, it's been, it's grown from like 12 people to like, I think we have over 120 something people in our email list now, you know? And, and a lot of that is just is based off of the fact that, and you and I, you, we all know, a lot of the writers are being staffed. You know, they're bringing us in that first year, but not bringing us in the next. So they just keep rotating these people. So we keep ending up with new people every year, which is good for our committee, but not good for, you know, the, the community. You know what I mean? The growth, you know? So our, our, our um, committee is, you know, we're just dedicated to, you know, helping black writers, you know, um, um, uh, staffing and, you know, get, get them, get them work. And, you know, we're trying to increase our visibility in the community, you know? So for example, that Dear Hollywood letter that we put out in deadline <clears throat> um, was, was supposed to just go to the Writers Guild and they love what we did so much. They put it out to the whole community and it went viral and I think it's in over 30 different, um, um, what do they call them? I can't even think straight. Um, <laughs> Out, out, outlets, yeah, media, outlets. media outlets, yeah. media outlets. <clears throat> I mean, from, I mean, some big ones, you know what I mean? So that's been really cool. So we've been asked on a weekly basis since June 12th to do all these other publications and podcasts and mm. all these other things. And you were talking about John August. I just want to say this is, so it was a funny thing that happened is I was listening to John and Craig. Um, they, they did a podcast on um, inclusion and equity mm. like and I listen to it usually on Tuesday or Wednesday of that week mm. and I'm listening to it and they're talking it was the episode where John was you know crying about you know he was teary-eyed about you know the George Floyd thing and yada 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 and they just kept talking about all this stuff that's going on at the writers group and I kept going I know they're gonna talk to us about about our letter because I know John read it <laughs> you know what I mean and they, the podcast ended. I, I felt some kind of way about it, to be honest with you. I was like, wow, they didn't even mention us, you know? Mm -hmm. So I hit them both up on Twitter and I was like, guys, I know you guys want to help. You need to have us on the show. So Twitter kind of went in backing us up going, yeah, guys, you guys need to have them on the show. Mm -hmm. So we ended up getting on the show. So John, you know, hit me like, you know, a couple hours later, hell yeah, of course, we'd love to have you on the show, blah, blah, blah. So at first, my whole intention was to go on and be like, John, you guys know you should have had us. You should have reached out to us. Mm -hmm. I was going to go there. Mm -hmm. And I get on the, on the podcast. You know, sometimes we're talking a few minutes before we start. And, and Michelle was like, oh, and I just love you guys. And Bob and I went, pivot. Got to change my tone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, fuck it. You know what? We have the platform. Let's mm -hmm. just roll with it. You know what I mean? You know, I appreciate them having us on regardless. I would have loved for them to give us the entire episode, you know, instead of just a segment. But, you know, the platform is still there. We got our voices heard. You know, more people read the letter, you know. So, you know, they have like 50,000 people a week who listen to their show. I, I might have three, three on my show. So, <laughs> hey, I can't, I can't complain about that. Yeah, because when I listened to it and I loved when y'all talked about the when you talked about like, yeah, we, we have these fellowships and these programs, these diversity programs that get people there. Right. But then as you were saying, they're there for that moment and then they don't come back. They yeah. just kind of, they just shipped in and out. It was like, here's the summer workers. 
okay, now we're back on regular, you know, schedule. And I thought that was very eye-opening because it was like, yeah, I keep hearing about these fellowship programs and everybody's fighting to get on these, you know, these diversity things and all that stuff. But I always wonder, like, I was like, do they hire you? And I think y'all revealed that it's not guaranteed. Do you even get hired after that? It's like, okay, it's work. That's cute. But here's the real group and we're going for it for, you know, season three or whatever. Well, it becomes a rotation. So, these 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 programs are great because it gives an, uh, an emerging writer an opportunity to be in a big program, especially if it's ABC, you get paid, you know what I mean? But it's only like 50-something thousand dollars, which quite frankly is not enough money today. It was fine 20 years ago, yeah. but now they need to catch up to what's going on. It yeah. should at least be $100,000 right now, yeah, you so know? Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, I'm just being real with it. They can afford it. Believe me, Disney, trust me. Yeah. Um, and oh, yes, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, speak on it now, Nick. So, um, um, so it becomes a revolving door where, where, where these, these, you get into these big programs, they get you staff, and because they say, hey, we pay for the staff. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you don't even have to. Well, the season ends, and you're like, wait a minute, we got another $90,000 we got to pay for a writer? Mm, we don't need them that much. We can, get, we can get another free writer. Let's, all right, well, thank you. We're not bringing you back. They could have been amazing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's what's happening with us a ton. You know, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many writers I've met. Like I said, I've watched our, our, our um, committee go from 10 to 12 people who come on a regular to like 50 to 60 to 70 people on a regular. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've seen the growth <clears throat> in what's happened. It's positive that we have more numbers, you know, of black writers and stuff but it's negative, we have less of us working. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, it's, 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 a, it's a bad, vicious cycle. Yeah, know? and it's interesting. I, I want to say that I heard from y'all, you usually see the same people, you know, still, you know, getting the jobs, still getting the, and the, the white people, basically. Okay. Still doing all this work and I'm always sitting, I'm always wondering, like, how do you even keep a job when there's other people who can probably do better than you or just as good as you? And I expect they always get left behind. I have a few friends who worked on Teen Wolf, and I heard a lot of stories with that. And I was right. like, it's very interesting. Well, what I was thinking is um, part of the problem that I think is that, for example, I was called, you know, they have the showrunners program, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, I was called in from the team at the showrunners program because we put out the letter. They wanted to reach out to me and go, hey, what can we do? You know what I mean? We're about to have our one day event where we bring back a lot of the people who didn't get in and, you know, new members or new, new showrunners who are about to be showrunners now since the program happened. It's like a update one day, get it all in type of a thing. And, you know, they're like, they want to talk to me to give them some, some thoughts about how to deal with, you know, the black writers and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, you got a pen? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's going to take a minute. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started off with this. I said, tell your showrunners this. Stop assuming that every black writer who's a staff writer is just a staff writer. Most of us, like yourself, mm-hmm. right, um, have already made shorts. We've made, we've made proof of concepts, web series, won awards, you know what I mean? All kinds of things. I was like, most of us have. So your regular little staff writer who got staffed because they wrote a cute little script that you like 
most of the writers that you guys bring in from Disney and NBC and Fox, all those people won that play over like three to 6,000 people, depending on what the competition is. Mm -hmm. So how much better do you think they are of your regular little white, you know, uh, writer? I'm generalizing here. You know what I mean? How much better do you think they are? But to you, you're like, oh, well, they're just, they were in some little program, blah, blah, blah. No, bitch. They were the best in the program <laughs> for the most part, right? Yeah. So, so, and I said, stop assuming that. But see, what you guys do is you guys go, oh, well, you know, we need, we need, a, we need a black female writer, you know, to, we have a black lead, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that'll, that'll hit that mark. And there's freaking 12 other white writers in the room. You know what I mean? And so, and so, and I was like, stop doing that. Stop assuming there can only, and me and Kirk uh, Moore talk about this on my podcast. Stop assuming there can only be one person of color in your room. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the other thing. I don't, I don't want to be called a person of color. You mm -hmm. know, I want to be called black, you mm -hmm. know? So that letter that we put out, for example, <clears throat> there was a, we started talking about the stats and how it's like 80 something point, whatever mm -hmm. amount of white, you know, writers on TV. And there's like this low number of black writers. And they came back with us going, oh, you know, one of our notes is, you know, your numbers are off. They're actually another like four to six, you know, um, points higher than that. And we we're like, what are you talking about? They're like people of color. We're like, no, bitch, we said black. <laughs> Stop putting us in that whole uh -huh. thing, you know? And we had the same issue on the gay committee before we came, we became LGBTQ um, plus is that um, we're like, how many gay people? are on this show? How many trans people are on this show? Instead, they keep clogging us all together going, oh no, there's this many, mm -hmm. you know, because it looks good to them. Mm -hmm. We're like, no, specifically, right? You guys should have those stats, you mm -hmm. know? And so we're saying the same thing with the black committee. How, mm -hmm. What are the exact stats of all of us who, um, who, who, who verify themselves as black? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or African-American, which I fucking hate. You know, whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, I can't stand it. It just sounds so corny to me. Yeah, you, these um, writers' room, I've seen many of these pictures of like, oh, this is our writers' room, and it's right. white. Right. Or there's one black person, or there's one <laughs> brown person. And I'm like, okay, so you expect all of these people or you expect the audience to get your character when your writer's room looked like this. And also it doesn't, it's not just enough for you to hire black actors and actresses. The writers have to be black. The directors have to be black. The producers have to be black. Even like the linesmen, the key grip, the, the such and such. It's just like, there's so much more and so much more systemic racism that embeds Hollywood and America and so much. It's, it's maddening. Well, and sometimes I think like black people <laughs> are owed everything plus more. Oh, well, there's no doubt, you know, that we need some restitution here. Um, mm -hmm. However, I, I get into some arguments with, with, with some of the black writers about this a lot. Um, I'm from the place where I'm not necessarily, it's just Hilliard speaking. I don't necessarily believe you have to be black to write a black project. That's just me. Because I write projects when there's no black people in them, in them at all too. You know what I mean? I don't want you to tell me I can't write it. 
you know, what, what I want you to do is get the nuance right. You know what I mean? Right. So what's been happening a lot, I say for the last three to four years, um, I've written quite a few projects with some decent writers. Um, I'm doing one right now on Bass Reeves, um, a new, a new TV series with a white writer, write produ writer producer here on the lot um, who brought me in because he knew he needed a black voice too. You know what I mean? And, and, and we're we co-creating the show together, you know? And so that's what I'm saying is be of the will, be of the mindset to not know you can just do it all yourself. Mm -hmm. And I have another friend who wrote a project who was telling me about um, that has a black star in it and a black, it's a black story and he's white, white. And, but he went to one of our biggest black writers and said, read this and give me some, give me some thoughts. Give me some nuance, add some layers. He said, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. I'm like, that's okay to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. none, of, none, of us, none of us came up with that story you wrote. You know what right. I mean? If we didn't allow white people to write some of these stories, we wouldn't see none of these stories. You know what I mean? That's true, yeah. And so, and so what they just need to do is include us in those things. And if we had more executives in those positions, they would already filter that stuff out there too. Mm -hmm. But because we don't, they have to now go and find another black writer, male or female, to help them with the project. You know, because mm -hmm. now they don't feel worthy of a project that you and I didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, mm -hmm. so that's what I'm saying is we, if we keep them from doing anything, we won't see hardly any, we won't even know of some of these projects that we still don't know about. These unsung heroes that we never heard of, that somebody yeah. went down a rabbit hole and found out about and you did You know yeah. what I mean? So that's why yeah. I feel a little bit different about that that other writers may feel that they shouldn't be writing us and whatever. I'm like, no, they just need to get the nuance right. That's usually what's missing. You know right. what I mean? Like you said, nuance. And I, as much as I love, and I'm using this as an example, as much sure. as I love scandal, mm -hmm. what I found weird is every time, <laughs> every time Olivia would wake up, she wouldn't have no, <laughs> no bonnet, no, her hair wasn't wrapped like and her hair was always laid like world peace oh, yeah. but <laughs> she would just wake up i'm like there is no black woman i know and i'm <laughs> i know a lot of black women that would you wrap their hair up. <laughs> <laughs> they would wrap their hair up yeah. all the way especially if they just got to finish like the, one of the, that's a nuance that was lacking in scandal but oh, i digress well. I, I agree. And um, to me, that might be, and I'm just speculating, that I might also be an actor choice. It might be, yeah. Because what happens, I, I, I don't know what happened season one. I think, what are they in season four or five of that shit or whatever, when before it ended? Is, um, oh, like six is, or seven. You know what I mean? Whatever. I mean, I stopped watching. Mm -hmm. I got off of it too, I think. Is um, what happens, and, I, and I, I tell my husband this all the time. <clears throat> if you guys ever watch season one of a show, just look at how the actors look, how they dress, whatever. Season two, everybody's makeup is a little bit better. The mm -hmm. hair is a little bit better because mm -hmm. you start making money yourself and mm -hmm. you start analyzing how you look on the screen. Everybody, that the guy who is really skinny puts on a little bit of weight, a little bit of muscle, you know, all of a sudden they become a little bit more handsome. You know, whatever, you just see season two or three, everybody looks perfect sure. every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you start getting money. And you start yeah. wanting people to only to see you a certain way, you know? And so you don't want to be seen with a bonnet on your head. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want to be seen with your shit laced. 
You know what I mean? With the front perfectly done. You, know, <laughs> you don't want to be like getting up how you know you look before you got there that morning. You know? Right. So I'm saying sometimes it could be. I'm not saying that, that I know the truth. Sometimes it could be, especially seasons in, I'm almost sure it's the actress. You know, I, I, I can see that because I, I think about, for example, Sex in the City. The first season, Sex in the City, was yeah. one. They used to have, they had like little talking moments with different random people. Then right. you never saw it again. Or girlfriends. <laughs> girlfriends had that moment with Joan have a, a moment. Well, that, yes. The fourth wall. Yeah. Of and we never saw that again. Buffy, the same way. Buffy was a whole different thing the first season compared to mm-hmm. second, third. Her outfits became yeah. more expensive. Her look became more expensive. So, yeah, I, I, well, I really see that. It gets bigger, you know what I mean? And you start making more money, especially season three. Mm-hmm. You go from forty to $60,000 a year to one hundred fifty. you know what I mean? It could, yeah. it could really change, depending on what your character agrees to, you know? Yeah. So we have a couple more questions. Uh, I'm going to throw this one in because you I'll said- try to make them quick for you. No, you can take <laughs> your time. Uh, you love horror. I do. Horror is actually my first love. Same here. Uh, I have to ask a couple of questions. If you could make your own horror, what would be an idea? And the second is, if you could remake any of these movies, which one would you love to remake? Well, there's some movies that I believe shouldn't be touched, so I'll preface that. Mm-hmm. But if I were to do a horror movie, it would be some sort of a monster in the house, you know, type of thing. Um, I'm not the ghost paranormal dude. I actually, most of the movies I haven't even seen because I just don't play with the devil. That shit fucks with me. <laughs> I'm good on that. Give me vampires, give me zombies, give me werewolves, give me the beast in the woods, give me all that. Mm-hmm. I'm that dude. <clears throat> so for me, it would be a badass 28 days later type of a zombie movie or something. You know what I mean? Where the zombies move fast, but they scare the fuck out of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it's and I, I, I'm attracted to stories where the, where and I say monster in the house, because I love stories where you have seven or eight characters trapped in one place like they did in Night of the Living Dead, for example. <clears throat> and it's always the weak becomes strong, the strong becomes weak, you know? And so it's really, it's not necessarily about the zombies or the thing outside trying to get them. It's about the people inside battling, you know? So I wrote this one movie that every year is almost done every year. I wrote it freaking seven years ago called Mutilated. And it's seven people trapped in like a, um, what do they call it? A, um, like an old... Um, like a pub type of place in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And everybody, all these different strange characters come to this one place in the middle of a storm. And there's, a, of course, a beast. They think it's one beast. It turns out there's two of them that are, you know, trying to kill them over throughout the whole night. And then it just moves, you know what I mean? And every 10 minutes, somebody's picked off, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's usually because somebody's trying to get out or somebody makes a mistake. Those are the ones that, that, that intrigue me the most when it's more about the people than it is about the monster. Mm. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. I think that reminds me of um, what was that movie, Feast? That yes, Feast. exactly. It's very feastish. Yeah. You know, without, I, the, I remember they, that was Project Greenlight when they was making that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember their tone's a little more funnier, minds are more darker. Yeah, but it's I, definitely feastish. 
See, it's so funny. Good. You talk about the demon. I love the demons. I, I love writing about the demons. <laughs> I was that kid, um, 80s kid too, that was playing with Ouija boards and we used to lay, I was from the South, so we would lay on graves for five minutes to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely not. We would go in the haunted house. <laughs> or we'll go to houses we thought were haunted. We, we, again, this is 80s in the South. You had nothing to do. So That's true. You know, I'm a 90s kid, so. Yeah, you're a 90s kid. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm, I'm four more years, and I'm, <laughs> in about four or five more years, I'll be 50. But it was okay. just. You're almost my age, all right. Yeah, so we would do the things like, if you can lay on the grave for five minutes, you get a dollar. And you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Go do it. Come on, money bags. Whoever loved their mama put the hand on the Bible. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot going on. I do. What what would be your how would you how do you measure success? One. And what would be your ultimate next project those two were two different way two different questions but still i'm very curious it's a hard one um i mean i manage did you say manage my time no how you manage success oh um well i learned a long time ago when i was an actor for my manager at the time who i had for years um when i first started when i first moved to la and i booked that that film that i got like three months after being here and then I booked a couple of TV shows and he's like, Hilliard, do one thing. Do not change your lifestyle. So what I've seen, whether it's my friends getting staffed on a show, whether it's my friends getting roles in TV shows or whatever, <clears throat> most people go wrong because they don't know how to manage their money. Mm-hmm. Right. I still have money two years later from Deadly Class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And mainly it's because I just don't spend that side of it. I I use my other money for other stuff. And so what I found is, like he told me this, this is something I tell emerging writers all the time. When you get your first money, don't spend it for a year. Only do one thing, take $1,000 and go spend it on whatever stupid shit you love. I'm a shoe dude, like I love sneakers, right? So I go and get, but I like sneakers that are only like $140. I'm not getting them $600 sneakers, right? Because I think they're ugly, first of all. I like cheap sneakers, right? So, so I go out and get my stuff. I'll buy five or six of them. I might get a couple more, you know, pair of pants or something or whatever that I like. And that's it. And I will not spend it on anything else. It's a discipline. You know what I mean? But see, what I've done is I got that thing out that I wanted. Ooh, I had some money. I want to go get something, right? Or especially when you have money, you know you can. You're like, wow, I just got this big ass assignment. I'm getting how much money? Oh shit, I'm supposed to go. Oh no, 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 no. I go, ooh, I got a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always do that. Mm-hmm. And I think about it in that way. So I, and like I pay for my office for a year. Boom. You know what I mean? I just take care of myself so that it's not on my brain stressing how am I gonna take care of that? How am I gonna get that thing done? You know what I mean? Be smart about your shit. <clears throat> if you don't need a fancy ass car, you don't fucking go get one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm blessed I inherited, you know, the car that I have, you know, cause I drive the Starsky and Hutch car, you know? Yeah, I've seen that. That's my daily ride. And so, 
Um, um, I mean, I'm blessed that I got it, but I got it in a negative way because my brother passed. You know what I mean? Um, so, so those those are some things that I would do. What was the other part of the question? I forgive forgive me. And um, so we talked about success, but what what would you what would your next dream project be? Oh, wow. So I'm somebody, I have a couple of, I've already written several of my passion projects. Mm -hmm. So as you know, we, we talked about Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. That would be the one that I would want done now because I have to get it, I have to be first, you know? The other thing is I wrote the story of Sylvester. You guys remember Sylvester? Mm -hmm. Disco Absolutely. <clears throat> so that's grip. the same company, one of the three companies who has Tulsa has that too. They want to do that one first. Um, so... That's the other script I really want to do. <clears throat> um, I have a Emmett Till um, limited series that we want to do that's from the perspective of everybody involved. It's going to feel like the O.J. Simpson kind of story mm -hmm. um, that I really want to do. Um, I'm kind of an old head. Like my managers are like, every time I turn around, you're writing something in the past. I'm like, I like old shit. You know, I think I was born in the 1700s. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I really do. I was like, I'm a vampire. I've been here for 300 years, Jack. Um, <laughs> And so um, those are a couple of things that I would like to see done um, that are passion projects to me. Um, um, I have a couple of TV, like also uh, I was telling you guys about, um, I have this big reggae show that I wrote for Ridley's company and Reggie Hudlin. And that one I would really love to see done because I might be able to run that room if, that, if that's a go. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be huge, um, totally up my alley. You know, and it, it's also a, 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 um, a historic show that takes place in Jamaica in, in the 60s when the um, Jamaica first gets their independence from Britain, mm -hmm. you know, and, it's a, and there's a murder that happens the night of independence that causes ruckus all across the, um, the, 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 the island and the detective comes in to solve this case. It's going to take them a decade to solve, mm -hmm. you know. And it's all centered around the origins of reggae music and how it became popular around the world, you know? So that show, and it goes back and forth from London to Jamaica and how it spread across, you know, those two continents. And so that show I would love to do because it's me, you yeah. know? Like my whole background in, in the whole punk rock scene, I was a rude boy. So my whole music and still like my truck says rude boy, it says sky boy on it. You know what I mean? Ska music is my favorite music, you know? Mm -hmm. So, especially 60s Ska is my favorite, you know, reggae. So, that show is everything to me. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I got, I mean, I got a bunch. I could keep going. I got so many things. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm, I'm very interested in the Sylvester one because, yeah, Sylvester and especially San Francisco, that whole. Mm -hmm. I was about um, to say the same thing, Sylvester. Uh, and I have, I have a Sylvester book that I haven't finished, but. One of the things that I will always remember is just seeing, I think, as he was passing, Patti LaBelle was there. She was like one of the last to see him. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a picture, you can barely find this picture of her in, in the hospital room with him. So it yep. was really interesting. So, you know, I, oh, if, you know, if that ever happens, I will I'll be- send it to you. We, we need that, that mm -hmm. Sylvester. Yeah, mm -hmm. Sylvester deserves. <laughs> so much because if you only think of, when you think about san francisco and gay stuff it's it's usually white it is yes. usually hospital uh, white <laughs> it's very white <laughs> <laughs> and we have made a big part of this history when it comes to anything gay so 
Without us, there would be no gayness. But oh, that's yeah. personal. Well, you look at Stonewall. They probably <laughs> make a Stonewall oh, right. movie and the white guy is the main guy in the fucking movie. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck is that? Oh. I'll just never forget. I was like, you tried it, sir. <laughs> he <laughs> tried the dog shit out of that. Exactly. What was it Roland Emmerich that did that? Really? Yeah. I don't remember. Just yeah. keep to disaster movies. Yeah, just stay, stay in your lane. <laughs> I'd, I'd say, I said somewhere that Roland Emmerich wants to be Irwin Allen so fucking bad. It doesn't even, it's like, ugh. So, I was, anything else you guys want to talk about? I, 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 have, I have one more question, and if Nick, you have a question, yeah. jump in there too. You know, already, you'll finish up. Well, you already talked about um, what you tell you know uh, young writers and what have you. What would be your main advice you really want them to get out of being a writer or being a producer? What is what is the main advice you really want to tell that person who wants to get into this industry and this business? I, well, I was telling you earlier about myself being insecure and that what I didn't get to was, so it made me prolific. Mm-hmm. It made me somebody who, <clears throat> like my mentor when I first started writing told me I should read a script a day for a year. I thought it was crazy. But then I went, oh, when I got to my fifth script, I started sinking into a new mode, right? And I started enjoying it. And I was going, oh, oh, I'm starting to understand a pattern here. And I started getting it. So like my... IQ for scripts is a little advanced, I think, than a lot of people just because I read thousands of them, mm-hmm. you know? And mainly, so in that first year, by the, I got to like the first month and I read 33 of them or something. And I went, oh, I think I can do two a day. Mm-hmm. And I started pushing myself. Now, I didn't graduate from high school is the other thing I didn't tell you. So that made me super insecure. So all of my mentors and people who I love went to UCLA and USC and all these colleges. So I always felt not worthy. Like how am I writing scripts when I didn't graduate from high school? You know, I got my GED, but I never thought I was worthy. So you have to find within yourself, what is the thing that makes you special? What I would tell you is when my life changed is when I learned to lean into my weakness. So you see, I tell you I'm gay. I tell you I'm black. I tell you all those things early. You know, used to be in a gang, whatever the hell it was early so that you get a sense of who I am. And I just throw it away. You know what I mean? Because what I found is when you do that, you, you take the power. You know what I mean? And there's, it's not a weakness that I don't want to talk about. I embrace it, you know? And I tell you it from a positive way. You know what I mean? And so um, and this goes to the same thing that I talk about on my show a lot. When you're in a room or you're in a pitch meeting or whatever, the reason why it is for me that when I go on a meeting, seven times out of 10, I walk out with a pitch they want me to bring back is because when they tell me their roster of projects they want to do, I listen and I go, oh, go back to my childhood and go, oh, remember I- <laughs> my father used to do blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always go back to my childhood and it, and it sparks something in them that makes them go, wow, he must have more stories. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This guy gets a whole nother point of view. They would really be able to speak to the lead character, whatever it is, you know, and I give them a personal story. And mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to give you one to where I'm in tears like that, you know. So I got the Morgan Freeman thing. I told them this, they wanted to do the story based on some IP that they own. And it takes place like um, in, the, in the 90s in, in Watts. And it's centered around this after school thing. <clears throat> so I, and I clicked and I went, oh, and I said, 
funny you said that. And I started telling the story about last year I was on Facebook and a friend of mine, I told you about, you know, being part of this clique when I was younger and how only three of us are alive. And one of them had posted this photo of this guy named Winky. Winky was the manager of the boys club around the corner from me, which is where I joined the group in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's where I learned to play pool. He taught us how to wrestle. He turned us in. And I'm telling him all this stuff. And I was like in the picture show. When I'm telling the story already, I'm like, you know, I want to just go there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when I looked at her, she was just crying when I was pitching this to her, mm-hmm. you know? And she was like, you're the one, you're the one, you know what I mean? And so that's, you got to be vulnerable. So that's what I would tell the writers. Don't be afraid to tell the weak, the thing that you think is weak. Mm-hmm. You know, if they tell you about a story about an alcoholic and you don't want your parents to, you don't want them to know your parents are, tell them the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And embrace it in a positive way about how it changed you to become this thing. You know what I mean? That's, that's what's missing. And I, I hear it all the time. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that story? Oh, I didn't think anybody wanted to know that. Why did, that's the thing that's going to sell you. That right. weakness that you think is weak is your superpower. So I'm going to leave you on that. <laughs> well, thank that's... you so much. For thank you, Nick. Us. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate you guys. Um, and that was, you know, I feel like that you gave us a lot to think about, a lot about this industry. Um, I, even though I don't, I, don't, I always, I always say I want to write or you know put something out there. I do want to put stuff out there, so this is giving me more incentive to do so. So you know how to direct, don't you? Uh, not direct. You went to school for writing. Yeah, I, I went for I went for writing. Okay, you should at least do like a proof of concept or something on one of the projects you've written. Do I should do some, I'm gonna try to do something with it. Um, yeah, I want to do something, but I want people to see it. I need to. I, I need feedback. That's my thing. I'm always. I'm that person. Like, if you tell me it was good, I don't believe it. So I always put it out there to. I want until I hear the negative one. Have you entered I, any of the big competitions, Austin or anything? Um, no, but I may try to nickel. You have to nickels any of those. I've been in all of them. Um, you need to, you need to just, I, and I tell writers this, I, I come from the festival circuit. Mm-hmm. So I used to, you know, I'd enter in Austin and be like, oh shit, I'm just a semifinalist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? At least I know I'm at this level. Oh, yeah. I made it to Nichols and I'm, you know, I made it to the finals. You know, oh, I won. Whatever it is, that, that's your guys too. If you don't have a bunch of friends around you to read your scripts, mm-hmm. use those competitions, up, but only do the good ones. Yeah, yeah only the just the good one. You know, right. you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hilliard, right. for coming on with us today. Um, tell us where we can find you. Let everybody else know where we can find you on Instagram. You can find me at Hilliard Guest on uh, Instagram, on Twitter. I'll call it Twitter, like I'm cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Nick. Um, <laughs> uh, you can listen to my podcast if you want, Screenwriters Rant Room. You can find us also on Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> um, and if you have any questions for me, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. You know. All right. Nick, I'll let you close us out and we'll go from there. And you can also find Megasheen on Twitter at Megasheen1. You can find me at I am Nikki P09, Victor at Wonderman. It's a zero five. Uh, I forgot. I blanked the fuck out. <laughs> Shit. Um, you can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram at Megasheen. Check out our website at ofpartofthesheen.com. And I think that is about it for us today. Yep, that is it. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.